This evening we are looking at the second in our series of an inside look and we are looking at the life of Ahab and Jezebel, their marriage. So an inside look into Ahab and Jezebel's marriage. We sometimes say of a marriage that seems to be ideal, that that marriage was made in heaven. People say that, isn't it? They look at two individuals who are so deeply in love with each other and they'll say, hey, that marriage was definitely made in heaven. But although we may not say it, the converse is also true because that people make in a, and that results in the disaster in a marriage, that marriage is made in hell because the choices that they made were influenced by the devil. The choices that they made helped in a, making the wrong type of uh, relationships because they listened not to the voice of God, but to the voice of Satan. And as a result, they did achieve the purpose that devil wanted to achieve. The devil doesn't want to see a marriage happy. He does definitely want to break it up. So, when you're thinking about these two extremes, you say things are going well, you say it's heavenly. But then when things don't go well, you also have to recognize that you know, it is not so good. It is coming from the very pit of hell because you have listened to the voice of Satan responded to his methods to break up the marriage, and he has succeeded. So this evening, we are looking at you know, the most uh, common dynamics in marriage of a passive husband and a controlling wife. A passive husband and a controlling wife. The first slide in your uh, notes in the introduction, we will find this husband and a controlling wife. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, it says, Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness. If ever there was a couple, a biblical couple, that you should not follow, it would be Ahab and Jezebel. Okay, So this evening is not going to learn some positive lessons from Ahab and Jezebel's marriage, but the negative things that happen so that we are careful that we don't make the same mistakes as they made. So when you're looking at Ahab and Jezebel, you have one side, a weak-willed person, and on the other hand, you find that you have a power-hungry and a manipulative individual. These two things, power and authority, power and authority. In fact, here in this case of Ahab and Jezebel, it was the misuse or the abuse of power and authority. And this can happen in a marriage even today, where one of the two spouses can exert a lot of power and even get to the extent of abusing the other spouse, and the other person is just passive, and it destroys the marriage. Okay, And Ahab and Jezebel brought out the worst in each other. It is bad enough for any marriage, but when the leaders or the husband and wife are the leaders of 
they are the leaders of a whole nation, then the results are even more terrible. That we must constantly be careful about. Okay. If you are in a leadership position, if your marriage is in the doldrums, if your marriage is abusive, if your marriage has this uh, uh, constituents that is destroying your marriage, remember, it's not only going to affect your marriage, it's also going to uh, affect the people who are under you. So let's look at, first of all, Ahab's background. Ahab's background. He is introduced to us in scripture in 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 30. And look at the words with which he is introduced. It says, And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. More than all who were before him. What an introduction to be given. That Ahab did more evil than all the other kings who were put together before him. And what did he do? In verse 31, it says, And it came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. Look at the things that are spoken about Ahab over here. It says, you know, not only did he consider it trivial to do the sins that his former ancestors had done, but he even topped it further by marrying Jezebel, by marrying Jezebel. And when you think about the word Jezebel itself, that sounds very ugly and wicked today, isn't it? And that is what he did. He married Jezebel. And not only did he do that, he also began to worship the God that Jezebel worshipped. Now, this seemed to be okay externally in terms of, you know, this was an alliance with a neighboring nation. Now, this was a treaty with the king of Phoenicia, and it was sealed by marrying his daughter. And now that's what the people did in those days. Okay, they had to seal a treaty. The marriage was and, uh, and, uh, done by ha giving the daughter in marriage. That was the sealing of the treaty. Now, even though that would have been the culture at that time, Ahab, as a Jew, knew that this was not the done thing because she was a worshipper of Baal. But it did not really bother him at all. He reigned as a king for 22 years. Okay, 22 years. He knew the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. He was a Jewish background. He also named his sons with Jewish names. Okay, and one son was called as Ahaziah, which means held by Jehovah. Another son was called as Jehoram, which means in whom the Lord exalts. Okay. His daughter was called Athalia, which means strong is Jehovah. Now, all these were <coughs> Jewish names. So, he had that background. In other words, from all perspectives and externally, he was a Jew. Okay? He believed in God, Yahweh. But when it came to the practice, he was far, far away from the truth. He was more concerned with politics. He was more concerned in... Uh, uh, more of commerce that could have been established because of his uh, uh, alliance with the king of Phoenicia. And as a result, his concern was more of the world rather than of spiritual things. Now, was this choice a good choice, a bad choice, 
or a sinful choice? And that's an important question we must ask ourselves. When you're thinking about marriage, marriages can be a good choice, bad choice, but it can also be a very sinful choice when you deliberately go against what God has said, you should not do this. Don't get into alliance with unbelievers, the scripture very clearly tells us. But he deliberately did this. That was a sinful choice that he did. And there are a lot of marriages that collapse because at this first level itself, they have messed it up. They have gone against God's law. They may think, oh, I am the one who's going to convert the other individual. You know, that person will come to know the Lord because of you, know, you being a Christian. It never works out that way. It never works out that way. And that is what Ahab has recognized, seen, and we also see it today in a lot of marriages. So the marriage of King Ahab to Jezebel led to the worship of Baal, which was, you know, sort of definitely sinful. More of that was included in, a, in the uh, community. So in one person gets married as a sinful choice to an unbeliever, it is not only going to affect that marriage relationship, it is also going to affect the community. It's going to affect the community. And to say that Ahab did more evil than all who were before him is definitely a very, very big statement to make when you're thinking of how evil he was, how evil he was. So remember, choices in marriage are very important, not only for both husband and wife, but also the children who come after that. It's a generation after generation that suffers. In fact, in the prophecy of Micah, which was spoken 100 years after the life of Ahab, in Micah chapter 6 and verse 16, we read, speaking about the children of Israel, for you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab, and you have walked in their counsels that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants are hissing, so you shall bear the scorn of my people. So not only are you going to be affected, it is your generations that are going to be affected. No godly legacy behind at all, but definitely a disaster for coming generations. So be careful about whom you marry. The person you marry can influence you to do things that you know are wrong. But you want to please your spouse, and as a result, you go ahead. Now, already made the right choice. You may say, now what can I do? I've already got married to this person. He or she was an unbeliever before I came, you know, before I got married. Now, there is still an opportunity. There's still chance for a change. But, you know, this is the primarily foundational truth in Scripture. Be careful whom you choose to marry. Now, what about Jezebel's background? Jezebel's background. Have you ever heard of a person by the name of Jezebel today? Just as much as no person would name their son as Judas, no person would also name their daughter as Jezebel today, isn't it? Because Jezebel and wickedness go hand in hand, as it were. It is like a synonym for uh, wickedness. Now, Jezebel, if you notice, her father's name was Ethbal. Ethbal, meaning the man of Baal, or the king of Baal. He was a priest of Baal. And 
कि ऑल्सो इन दैट पर्टिकुलर फिनिशियन कल्चर दे है she got him to you know build a temple for baal she also brought in 450 of her prophets of baal she brought in 400 prophets of ashtoreth from phoenicia she housed them all in the palace she fed them in royal style she helped them to you know she used them to promote the worship of baal throughout the land think for a moment here was one woman who has done so much damage to the nation of israel by introducing all this in a evil worship how did it all start up it started off for good economic purposes maybe it started off by saying hey, there's nothing wrong you're going to be friends you know we are not going to affect each other in whatever way but no you give a little inch and you find that the whole nation was affected and not only was sena she bringing in all these prophets and prophetesses in you know, a her concern was that the whole jewish faith all the prophets and you know, of the, the jews should be killed and she succeeded in a lot of cases and there was only say around 100 that were left who was you know, kept in the cave by a person called obadia and of course there was elijah the prophet who was the only one who had the courage to stand firm and speak out against this evil practice now we must remember that who or what we worship is going to decide what we are going to become in the future in psalm 115 it says their idols are silver and gold made by human hands they have mouths but cannot speak eyes but cannot see they have ears but cannot hear noses but cannot smell they have hands but cannot feed feet but cannot walk nor can they utter a sound with their throats those who make them will be like them and so will all who trust in them so will all who trust in them now you may say i'm not worshiping any of these pagan idols but as you and i know idol is anything that takes the place of god in our lives so when you're thinking of a marriage relationship both the individuals must not only know the lord but also would have to make sure that the lord is the number one person in their lives if for one of them it is something else maybe it's the work that they are worshiping or it's money that they are worshiping or it's pleasure that they are worshiping what will happen is it will be pulling in two different directions and one person becomes that which they are worshiping and pulls the other individual also and as a result there marriage is a disaster so having said this as an introduction to both these individuals let's look at the reasons for their marriage disaster reasons for their marriage disaster number 1 they married for the wrong reason they married for the wrong reason now let me ask you a question this evening why did you get married what is the purpose what is the purpose okay was the purpose because the parents said you have to get married a good proposal came in that's what ai would have said isn't it you know a good proposal came and i got married i didn't even know who this person was okay 
Or did he say, oh, we loved each other, even though, you know, that person was not really, you know, on fire for the Lord or did not really know the Lord, you know, but we loved each other, you know, so as a result, we knew that love will overcome all obstacles. Was that the reason? What is the reason that you got married? Now, if you notice, the basic purpose for marriage can be narrowed down to two, <coughs> companionship and the establishment of a family. Companionship and the establishment of a family. And this is mentioned very clearly in Genesis chapter 2, verse 20 to 24, where it says, And the man gave names to all the cattle, and to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place, and the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So this is the reason. Now, the reason for marriage is companionship and the establishment of a family. And anything, any marriage that does not have this as the purpose, but the purpose is something else, is definitely going to go downhill. Now, when you're thinking of the marriage of Ahab and Jezebel, did they marry for the right reason? Not at all. They married for the wrong reason. They married maybe so that there will be more commerce that will come into the nation. They married you know, because you know, they wanted peace between two nations. Now, there are a lot of reasons why people get married today, you know, and especially in the culture today, a person may say it's not two individuals that are getting married, it's two families that are getting married. So, as a result, if the families are not on fire for God, there's always a great chance that there's going to be problems in the future because the marriage has been for the wrong reasons, you know, <laughs> okay? Now, secondly, you have the low maturity level of Ahab. Low maturity level of Ahab. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 21, we read about you know, ne uh, Naboth's vineyard. I'm sure you're familiar with the passage. Here was this king who wanted to buy that guy's property because he wanted to set up you know, his own field over there. This was Naboth's uh, uh, inherited property which you know, he was not willing to sell because you know, that belonged to his generations. Fair enough for him. But when he refused to sell, when he refused to sell, what did he do? That is the where he shows his immaturity. He immediately goes and tells his wife, look here, that man is not willing to sell his property to me. Now, did he tell, him the, tell her the whole truth? No, he only said he's not willing to sell. He did not give the reason why. Because if he had told the reason, it would have seemed reasonable enough. Because, hey, after all, it's his inheritance property. He cannot, you know, you know, sell it to anybody else. That would have been reasonable. But he hid that, you know, and he mentions only this portion. And he expects his wife to do something about it. That he would depend on her to fight his case for him, okay? Now, he's the king, remember. Now, he has all the power, but he's a weak-willed individual. Because he did not get this you know, property, he is upset, 
and he is assuming that his wife will do something for him. Now, what about his wife? Okay, she was from a background that was worshipping Baal. How much do you think that she knew about Ahab's religion? She was definitely one who knew about Ahab's religion. Because remember when she finally planned out the whole thing, she made sure that she brought two witnesses who would accuse Naboth of wrongdoing. That is what the Old Testament prescription was, isn't it? One person, one witness was not sufficient for to be you know, to take action. Two witnesses were required. She was aware of that. Okay, she was aware that it required two witnesses to establish a fact. You know, and she also knew that the punishment for worshiping, you know, false gods, you know, blaspheming—that is what the accusation was—was was to be stoned to death. So she knew all that portion very well. She knew all that portion very well. And she would also have known that it was improper for Nabo to sell his vineyard. All this she knew. But knowing that Ahab wanted that, and if she was willing to do something to make sure that he gets that, she would be able to manipulate him. And that is where the problem came in. If only Ahab was an individual who was a mature individual who was not willing to be manipulated, you know, who took his stand, hey, that is wrong, I shouldn't do it, things would have been okay. It would not have gone downhill. But here was an immature individual which was used by Jezebel, his wife, to be manipulated so that he gets that. He is happy, and by giving that to him, he is now under her control. This is what was happening in that relationship. So that's what we lead. The third one, that there was a control by a wrong relationship. There was a control by a wrong relationship. In Ephesians chapter 5, we have the clear-cut order of a relationship in the marriage. Submission to God, then the husband, then the wife. You know, that's the order in Scripture. But here, what happens? What happens? There's no order like that. You know, Ahab is not you know, the head of the home over here. It is now Jezebel who is running the home or manipulating the home. Sometimes we allow ourselves to be controlled by others without even knowing it. We allow ourselves to be controlled by others even without we knowing it. Steve Sampson. Is the author of two well-known books called Confronting Jezebel and Discerning and Dis Defeating the Spirit of Ahab. And he puts what has happened in, uh, in the marriage of uh, uh, Ahab and Jezebel in this particular format, which would also happen maybe even in today's marriages. He says, picture this. Someone enters your life who will bend over backwards to do anything for you. They may buy you gifts, lunch, Watch your children, cook for you, or even give you money. Sounds like a real asset. If the flip side of that, if it comes with a hefty price, what is the price? Before you know it, this once angelic person begins to throw it in your face the moment you do not comply with your wishes. Suppose while engaged in conversation, you disagree with them, especially publicly, you are subjected to the silent treatment for days or weeks on end. What if you find yourself suddenly faced with the threat of all those gifts, especially 
that which has become very close to you and you are depending upon that being no longer available to you. If you are inclined to keep going along, to get along, just to keep the peace, then you may be carrying the biblical Ahab spirit, the weak-willed, immature person. And your friend or the spouse you know, you know, is probably the Jezebel who is controlling you. So here a clear characteristic of their marriage that caused it to sour and disintegrate was the relationship that they had between each other. There was no companionship. There was a control in the relationship. It was uh, Ahab, the weak individual, Jezebel, the one who was controlling. Now, whether Ahab realized it or not, we do not really know because in other matters, he was definitely a strong-willed person. He was a strong soldier who could uh, lead the army effectively. Twice he defeated the Aramean forces in harmony with the predictions of you know, the prophet who spoke to him and said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the victory. So he was a good leader. He was a good military leader, but he did not lead in his home. Somebody has said that Ahab was more weak than he was wicked. And definitely, you know, this relationship that was there, the wrong relationship that was there also existed because of his selfishness, which was, again, an immature thing. Okay? He wanted the property, and when he did not get the property, like you know, a child, a little child who will sulk when something that you know, the child wants is not given to him, he goes back home sulking and speaking to Jezebel and said, oh, he did not give it to me. Now, there are twice that the scripture speaks about this, the fact that he was sulking. Okay? So here's an individual okay, who's allowing himself to be controlled in that relationship for what he wants. In other areas, he's taking the lead. But when it came to the marriage relationship in the home, he's not taking the lead. He's allowing the wife to take the lead. And if you notice, once Jezebel has worked out everything, make sure that Naboth is killed, his sons are killed, so that the inheritance rights are totally gone. It is now an open land. He can definitely pick it up. When word comes to him that Naboth and his children are dead, the scripture tells us that he immediately, he immediately goes and picks it up. It's like, you know, that, you know, I did not get it, now I've got it, you know, and he's excited about it. But it is interesting, the Bible tells us even on his way that God sent Elijah to him, to caution him, to warn him, to give that judgment to him. Hey, look at what you're doing is definitely wrong. So there was a wrong relationship. Instead of God being in control of the relationship, remember in a Christian marriage, it is God who is the control. So the husband and wife come before the Lord to ask, Lord, what should we do in this particular situation? But instead of that, here it was Jezebel who was in control. And here was Ahab willingly giving that responsibility because he wanted something for himself. It was a selfishness that motivated that giving in. Thirdly, still another weakness of Ahab was, was his vacillation regarding the worship of Yahweh. 
If you notice, the scripture is very clear. He did not give up his Baal worship. Okay, He worshipped and he did not give up his worship of Yahweh. He worshipped Yahweh, but he also worshipped you know, Baal. And this is where the danger also comes in today, isn't it? When an individual says, okay, you know, yes, you know, I believe in Jesus. I have not given up on him, but I don't put him first in my life. I put other things also into my life. I put another, my work into my life. I put my job or my money or my positions or anything that the world has to offer. I also put that in. If a person does that, trying to put his legs in two situations, you find that that is not going to really work out. God has given the husband and wife divine responsibilities for the success and the beauty of the home. God's pattern, God's design. But when the designs are forsaken and broken, for whatever reason, the house will become a disaster. The foundation stone, if it is not right, the building is not going to succeed. So, they were controlled by the wrong relationship, not biblical setup, but personal selfish reasons set up. Is that the reason for your marriage? Ask yourself. Number four, corrupted by the wrong religion. Corrupted by the wrong religion. Marry someone who will help you to get closer to God, not someone who will hinder you. Someone who will help you to get closer to God, not someone who would hinder you. Remember we said that his sin was not that he totally forsook Yahweh, but that he tried to serve both Yahweh as well as Baal. Why as well as Baal? Because his wife was worshipping Baal. His wife was serving Baal. And as a result, instead of both of them coming closer to God, here was the pull that was on to get closer to Baal. And as time went on, you find all that he did, you know, set up a temple, brought the Asherah poles, you know, all that was done in order to please Jezebel, his wife. Okay. So if your marriage is not focused on the one true God who is at the center, reason, if daily that is not the focus of how our relationship can get us closer to God, if the focus is on how can I excel in this world, of how can I make more in this world, and if the tug and the pull of one is more than the other, you will find that their marriage will not really succeed. Nothing should have persuaded Ahab to marry anyone but a woman who sought to be God's faithful servant. Marriage to a person like Jezebel should never have entered his mind. But why did this enter? Because Ahab was more evil than all the kings earlier put together. His own relationship with God was not there. If your relationship with God is not a vital relationship, oftentimes people will say, hey, that person is also a believer. That person is also a Christian. That is not the sufficient part. The question is whether both the individuals are on the same wavelength in their walk with God, because that is what makes the difference. It is not just a Christian. It is not just a believer. Both have to have the same fervent desire to worship God and to serve Him. Number five, there was a resistance to change. 
by Ahab. Jezebel, of course, you know, she's from day one on the negative side. But for Ahab, he was a Jew. But God gave him plenty of opportunities. But he still did not change. And that is what can also happen. If you are in a relationship that is in a disaster, you find that as opportunities are given for you to change, you know, you get even more and more stubborn and the relationship breaks down even further. In 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 33, verse 29 to 33, we read about you know, Ahab. It says in verse 31, he not only considered it trivial to come with the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel. Verse 32, he says he set up an altar for Baal. Verse 33 says he also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of God. That's what he did. That's what he did. God wanted him to change. He sent Elijah in um, verse 18, in, our, uh, in chapter 18, verse 17. When God sent Elijah to him, what is his response? His response says, oh, is it really you, the troublemaker of Israel? Now, who is the troublemaker? Is it Ahab? Is it Elijah? He calls, Ahab is calling Elijah as the troublemaker. God is giving him opportunity. God is giving him an opportunity. But still, he refused. Why? Why does he refuse? And why does marriages become more and more stubborn as the years go by? Because primarily, Ahab had neglected his spiritual and emotional life so much that his heart had become hardened. And he resisted the people that God sent into his life. And if he had only listened to them, he would have responded properly. Now, say evening would be. Does God send people like that into your life today? Individuals to help you to change. Individuals who will help you <coughs> to improve your relationship. But what do you do? Do you resist? Do you argue with them? Do you get angry? Okay, That's a question you must ask yourself. If you do, then that's a recipe for disaster. That's not a recipe for a change. Sixthly, we find that Ahab was a very moody person, was a very moody person. Ahab lived with many unprocessed emotions, okay? So he became moody and depressed. The first case where we find about he being moody is when a prophet comes and tells him, hey, you did wrong by not killing King Ben-Hadad and letting him go scot-free. In 1 Kings chapter 20 and verse 43, it says, So the king of Israel went home to Samaria angry and sullen. Okay, He sulked. Why? Because the prophet said, hey, you have done wrong. As soon as he said he had done wrong, he becomes very moody. Then, of course, in the other case, in Naboth's case, in verse chapter 21 and verse 4, we read, so Ahab went home angry and sullen because of Naboth's answer. Think of both the situations. Now, did it really warrant his moodiness? Here a prophet says you have done wrong and he sulks about it. Here's another case in which the Naboth refuses to sell his property and he sulks about it. Why is this so? Because primarily he has many unprocessed emotions in his life. We strive to master the physical external side of ourselves while neglecting the inner man, the part that needs intimate and strong 
human relationships to thrive. Too many men and women protect their hearts at all costs, encasing them in a hard shell, never sharing their vulnerabilities, weaknesses, fears, or guilt, or even dreams. And when that happens, there's no emotions are not being processed, it is all inside of you. And as a result, you can become very moody. Your emotions go for a swing up and down all the time. But it is only when you take time to spend with God, deliberately slowing down, checking up why are you behaving the way you are behaving, you will find that you will get back onto the right track. Jezebel and Ahab illustrate what happens in a marriage when in the midst of difficulty, Husbands refuse to handle their emotions and couples appease and manipulate each other rather than spiritually engaging. Rather than spiritually engaging, rather than talking it out, you find, okay, you know, you want this, you take this, I give this, you are happy. And that's what is happening in Ahab and Jezebel's relationship. Moody men and women filled with chronic bitterness and disappointment can put their marriage in a horrible situation, all because they refuse to let God help them learn how to change their heart. And the moodiness and the loss of heart can change the minute and emotions to God. Is your marriage filled with a lot of moods? You know? Do you have a lot of mood swings? You know? What can you do to make sure Emotions are processed reason rather than having unprocessed emotions. The scripture does tell us some one good point about King Ahab, where finally, finally, he does respond. He does respond. Okay. And in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 29, the Lord says, Have you witnessed Ahab's repentance? He has shed his pride and wickedness and humbled his heart before me. Therefore, I will not send evil against his house while he is still alive. Instead, I will send it during the lifetime of his son. Finally, at some point, he does change. But that is only for a short time period. It was only for a short time period. Again, because it was unprocessed emotions. What are the things that we must do in order to make sure that we come out of our moodiness? What did King Ahab do? First of all, we need to shed our pride. To say, hey, look here, I am wrong. You know, you know, I am moody. I accept that I am wrong. We must be willing to humble our heart to look at how this moodiness has affected the relationship. And then we definitely need to repent and turn around, allow God to change our hearts. And in order to do this, there has to be a volitional part, a commitment on our part to make sure that emotions will not get the best of us in the relationship, but that we will work on commitment to one another to work out those changes in their in our emotions, sort it out so that it will be on the right track. Number seven, when you're looking at you know, uh, Jezebel, you find the manipulation and the control of Jezebel, the power plays that happen. If you notice, people use this power play in regular events as well. When you decide that you want to get something, okay, now you have made up your mind, I must have it by hook or by crook, you know, you're not able to get it now, but no, somehow you're going to get it. 
or you want a particular job, you want a particular thing, and he says, okay, I will call this person up, I will use influence, you know, maybe I'll pay a larger amount, or maybe, you know, I will do this, I will do that, you know. You somehow try to get it for yourself, you know, you think you are the boss. And that's what happened in this relationship. Two clear cases where Jezebel manipulates and controls. First of all is the one in Naboth's case. When she says in 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 7, you know, she says, Is this how you act? Is this how you act as king over Israel? Imagine, she goes to the king and says, Be a man. Look at how you're behaving. Okay. She puts him down in a way. Okay. And then, you know, she turns around and says, Okay, I will take charge. I will take charge. I will write the letters and make sure that you get what you are looking for. In instead of respecting her husband, she undermines him and takes control. She undermines him and takes control. Now, in the case of you know, the second incident where you know, Elijah at Mount Carmel has defeated Baal, killed all the prophets of Baal, what does she do? When she hears about this, she responds and says, okay, he thinks he's the boss. I will show him who's the boss. And he, she says in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 2, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. She issues a threat to Elijah the prophet. Now, if Ahab had unprocessed emotions and allowed Jezebel to manipulate him, Jezebel seems to be, be such a strong-willed, manipulative individual that even Elijah, the prophet of God, is giving in to those fears now. And he, as a result, he runs away from her and says, you know, I'm afraid, you know, I want to die, you know. Look at the controlling power of Jezebel. Often, our attempts to fulfill our desires may be very subtle and in some cases can be classified as also uh, acceptable level of persistence or very highly ambitious. We may think, hey, this is not manipulation, you know. This is just, an, uh, I want this, I'm persisting, I, this is my right, as it were. But engineers know that a yield point is that moment when material permanently changes form, okay? So there is a level in which you yield. And when we are willing to yield, you know, to the manipulation, you go in that direction. But on the other hand, if you are willing to yield to the working of the Spirit of God in our lives, then instead of giving way to that manipulation, you give way to the Spirit of God. And that is what the important thing is. Each day, we must yield ourselves, not to be controlled and manipulated by anybody in this world but to allow ourselves to be controlled and you know, by the Spirit of God. God gave us marriage, but within that marriage, He also put the parameters of our own free moral choice. Okay, So we have a choice to make. Yes, God is the one who gave us the marriage. God is the one who gave us the spouse. But we have a choice to make to find out whether we are going to yield to the Spirit of God or we are going to yield to manipulative things which is going to take us away from God. Let me close with a couple of lessons that we can learn from this relationship. Number one, a lesson in marrying well. 
a lesson in marrying well. God very clearly forbade from marrying foreign men or women because doing so would lead them to serve foreign gods. And in the New Testament, it is also true. It is not just for the Old Testament. It is also true for the New Testament. We don't get married to unbelievers because unbelievers will take us away from God. In fact, Nehemiah, who led the returned uh, exiles in rebuilding Jerusalem, took very extreme measures. If you notice in Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 25, it says, I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Look at how seriously Nehemiah took hold of that situation. How seriously he recognized that your spouse has to be a believer. A spouse has to be on the same wavelength. He made sure that that really you know, happened and things that were haywire, he removed from the society so that the next generation would be stronger. Remember, an unsaved spouse can have a tremendously evil influence within a family. And God commands Christians to marry only Christians for that very reason. Do not think that you are going to lift the other person up. It is always a person is pulled down. You don't lift a person up. The other individual will only pull you down. So make sure that that is on the same wavelength. Now, if you already got married, your couples who are listening to this, you know, make sure that that is maintained in terms of you know, the desire to please God, that God will be in the center of the relationship daily, that you would allow no other idols to come in the way so that there will be no pulling in any other direction. Secondly, marriages to stubborn, willful people can bring unhappiness to all concerned. Marriage to stubborn, willful people can bring unhappiness to all concerned. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 tells us that love does not seek its own. Love does not seek its own. An individual who is a strong, self-willed person who has not surrendered their will to God will definitely not give in their will to people around them. With unyielding obstinacy, they will keep demanding their own way and looking for every possible means and method of doing or having what they want. They will not listen to reason. They will not consider the feelings of others. They will not face the potential consequences of their intended actions. They believe that they are right, others are wrong, and they are determined to have everything their way. Okay, That's an individual who is a strong-willed individual, stubborn people. And those who live with people like this eventually find themselves emotionally destroyed. And for the survival of those around them, for the happiness and for harmony in the marriage, we must make sure if there is this stubborn streak that you would be willing to allow God's grace to deal with it. And when you're looking at Ahab and Jezebel, both of them had that stubborn streak. And that's the sad part of it, isn't it? If there are two strong-willed, stubborn people in the relationship, it is going to cause a lot of problems. Weak, vacillating people like Ahab often want their own way, 
just as much as headstrong, domineering people like Jezebel. But they react differently when they do not get it. While the forceful ones rant and rave, strike out at those who stand in their way, throw fits and destroy things, the weak ones will sulk and pout and fret like spoiled children. They may refuse to get out of bed or even refuse to eat. They just want to feel sorry for themselves and let everybody know how bad things are for them. All they really succeed in doing is letting people know how self-centered and immature they are. So either of the case, whether it's the type of Ahab who is a stubborn person or that's the type of Jezebel who is a stubborn person, both the violent kind as well as the peevish kind can still ruin a marriage. And the trouble often starts you know, when one will infringe on the other's inviolable rights. Maybe the husband will not let his wife buy something she thinks that she has a right to have. Or the wife may prepare an absolutely terrible dinner on the very day that the husband is expecting his favorite dish. Now, this is the type of reactions of two stubborn, strong-willed individuals in the relationship. But God wants to break our stubborn wills. He wants to conquer them with his love. And the first step to victory is simply to admit that demanding our own way is disobedience to God's word, and therefore it is sin. A lot of marriages break up because of two strong-willed personalities. You may say, hey, one is a weak person, another is a strong person. But even a weak person can be stubborn, a strong person can be stubborn, and the way they react is only different. But as long as both those individuals are stubborn individuals, there is definitely not going to be much change, but only ending in disaster. But if, if and if only, we are willing to admit before God, God, I'm sorry. I'm stubborn. Into that will be the first step to open God's grace into our lives for a change. Thirdly, the dangers of a codependent relationship. Codependent relationship. What do you mean by this codependent relationship? A Jezebel desperately needs an Ahab in order to function, and an Ahab relies on a Jezebel to get what he or she wants, okay? This is a codependent. Both of them need each other. It's like scratching one another's back. You give this, I give this, you know. And as a result, both are happy they're getting what they are getting. But actually, you know, it is you know, the cost of something. Although she mercilessly controls her Ahab, anyone who upsets him is bound to feel her wrath. Thus, he is rendered powerless after she saves him time after time, and she is firmly in control. And uh, Steve Sampson, again, writing about this, he says, A man who is an Ahab has a distorted concept of his own authority, blames others, mainly his wife, justifies himself, and leans on his wife, is a mama's boy, is irresponsible and relinquishes authority over his house. Weak and childish, he pouts, is spoiled and throws temper tantrums. A woman can also become an Ahab, especially if she is married to a man with a Jezebel spirit. Fearing a loss of financial security, she may become passive and surrender her authority and dignity in God to a controlling man. 
So whether male or female, those who have an Ahab spirit refuse to take their rightful place in God's call. So an individual who has been controlled by somebody else, now you are in the new relationship, in a marriage relationship, you still want to control. And if the other person has been from that background, yield to that relationship, they may say it's working out fine. It's a codependent relationship, you know, you're depending on one another, but that is not God's pattern. That is not God's pattern. Okay. <clears throat> now, why is this not so? Because should the Ahab okay, try at any point to get away from that controlling relationship or stand up you know, to what he believes in, you will find there's going to be war. There's going to be war. And that's what happens. That's what happens in relationships. You know. Either there's an open war, there's a breakup, or one party says, okay, that's what it is, so I will give in, I will give in. And it continues on for a long, long time. There is no harmony in the relationship. Fourthly, we discover how thoroughly this weak and wicked man was dominated by his overbearing wife. In 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 7, he says, Arise, eat bread, let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Okay. She says, You are sulking, you are moody, what a man you are. You know, don't worry, I will do it for you. And she was going to teach Ahab her philosophy of life. What was in a Jezebel's philosophy of life? Take what you want, destroy anyone who stands in your way. That's how she did it. And Ahab did not have the courage to stop her. A man needs respect from his wife and not ridicule. Now, when she calls on him and says, hey, look here, you know, this is how you behave. You're a king, be a man. You know, he was definitely upset about it when he was taunted and ridiculed. He kept it to himself. But as soon as, as soon as he got what he wanted, he said, that's okay. Let her say whatever she wants to, as long as I've got what I want to. Okay. But definitely, the relationship had deteriorated. Okay. Fifthly, we find that this uh, influence of, of this wrong relationship lived on in their children. Lived on in their children. And this is often the saddest effect of lives like Ahab and Jezebel. Okay. Sons and I later ruled in Israel. And the first was Ahaziah. Of him, God says in 1 Kings 22, 52, and 53, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father, in the way of his mother, in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who caused Israel to sin. Children followed in their parents' footsteps. And this is why it is so, so important to make sure that the marriage relationship does not end up in a disaster. Because it's not just your relationship that is affected. Society is affected. It's not just the society that's affected. Your children are affected. It's not just your children who are going to be affected. It's the legacy down through the years that is going to be affected. But praise God. God can and wants to change our hearts. God can and wants to change our heart. We become stuck only that change. And we try to protect ourselves emotionally. 
Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 27 says, The Lord says, I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit within you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. With God, we are never that far from changing our lives because God says he will give us a new heart and a new spirit. But the first step is what? To take away the old stubborn heart so that he can replace it with a new tender and a responsive heart. It's not going to be easy to do a heart transplant. You know, It's not going to be easy emotionally. But if we really want the relationship to grow, if we find that there is a stubbornness, if we find that there is a hard-heartedness that has crept in, if we find that there is no softness in the relationship, we must come before God and say, God, I ask you that you would take it. Take away this stony heart. Take away this stubborn heart. Give me a heart of flesh, a heart that will love and care. Let me close this evening with a couple of application questions. Number one, what should be our attitude to marrying outside the faith? What should be our attitude to marrying outside the faith? Secondly, how should we deal with a disastrous marriage? How should we deal with a disastrous marriage? Thirdly, how do we spot the signs of a dangerous union? How do we know that things are going downhill? Fourthly, how do you think Ahab should have handled the situation when it became obvious to him that Jezebel wanted to eliminate Jehovah worship from Israel? What do you think the king, a Jew, should have done? Fifthly, how can a wife increase her respect for her husband and how can a husband help her? Number six, do you feel that your spouse is infringing on any of your inviolable rights it's with each other, how the situation can be handled? Seventhly, does selfish nature exhibit itself with rage or with sullenness? Are you more like Ahab, sullen, moody, or are you like you know, Jezebel, violent, you know, in control? What clues help you recognize your rising self-will and what can you do to combat it? Number eight, do you seem to be demanding your own way much of the time? You know, what he or she thinks. Then prayerfully consider the answer. You may think I'm not demanding, but ask your spouse about it. You know, are you selfish? Are you wanting your own way all the time? And number nine, have you both yielded yourselves to Christ as Lord of your lives and are willing to let him make the changes necessary to improve your relationship with each other? Your willingness to hear your spouse out without getting irritable or defensive may be an accurate measure of that willingness. Let's bow our heads and pray together.